All right, first thing I'd like to do is to give a o- quick overview uh, introduction to Masachet Yoma, because Masachet Yoma is an unusual Masachet. It's not, it's not um, unprecedented, but it's an unusual Masachet. Masachet Yoma, Yoma means Hayom, the Masachet, the day. And there's only one day in the calendar that we ever regard as the day. Just like we spoke about this in Pesachim, if you ever talk about the night, the night in Jewish literature is Leil HaSeder. The Yom, the day, is Yom Kippur. It's a day that is singular. Uh, it is only one day. It stands out in unique ways, in all sorts of unique ways. Um, and Masachet Yoma, if you were to ask, just like if you ask the average person on the street, what do you think Masachet Ta'anit is about? And the first thing they would say would be Tishabav or something like that. And they might be surprised to find that that plays a very little role. If you were to ask somebody what's Masachet Yoma about, they would probably give you one of two answers, either about fasting and that mode or about prayer and that mode. And they might be surprised to find that that both of those things only occupy position uh, in the last parak. There's eight prakim in Masachet Yoma, and the first seven of them have nothing to do with anybody except one person, and that is the coin Gadol. Uh, and it is, uh, of course, there's a whole lot of other people around him. Uh, there is an understudy coin Gadol, there's a wife, there's possibly a second wife, which we're going to deal with today. There is, uh, there are a bunch of other Kohanim involved. We hear lots of uh, details about regular Avodah, but as far as the focal point goes and sort of the camera who is following the coin Gadol. And another thing that's interesting about Yoma that makes it sort of like the last chapter of Psachim, like kind of like the first few chapters of Psachim, kind of like Masachet Shabbat, is that it walks through the day in order. It's going to start with a week before the, the big day, and then it's going to walk from the very early morning of the day all the way through the end of the day, and going to follow the Kohen Gadol with lots and lots of tangents, fascinating tangents, interesting stories, lots of great stuff, but only the last chapter gets to what we would consider to be practical, about fasting, about if somebody's sick, at what point do they eat, uh, the nature of vidui, of confession on Yom Kippur, etc. Okay, all that said, um, it, the, we are also uh, very well-timed with starting Masachet Yoma this week, even though the world started it a week ago, because this week we're reading the Parsha of Yom Kippur, which is Acharemot, and already Shabbat afternoon, and this morning we already heard <clears throat> most of the description in the Torah of the Abu Dhabi of Yom Kippur, which includes a phrase which is going to be the, the core issue uh, that we're going to deal with today. And I, I'm just suspecting that this year is going to be a two-parter because there's a lot of interesting twists to it. Uh, this year also uh, includes material that spreads over pieces of the first parak. So it's not like we'll be uh, stuck from one perspective very early in the Masachet while the world marches on. But in any case, that's we're learning Torah and our engagement is what counts. All right, if we take a look here, source one. Source one is the part of chapter 16 of, of Vayikra, which is Acharemot, which describes the Avodah. Now, you might recognize it because not only is it the, the Kriyat Torah this week, it's also the Kriyat Torah in Yom Kippur. Uh, I know every time I get up to lay in Acharemot Shabbat morning, this comes Shabbat morning, I always feel a little extra hungry. It's an interesting thing. Anyhow, uh, and I want to quickly run through it because um, all the details here are, are significant. We're going we're gonna to touch on them. We're going to see this Parsha numerous times, not only in our Daf Shir, but in our Dive Shir uh, between now and the next 
uh, eight weeks or so um, as we make our way through this body of the Masechah because everything's going to come back to this Parsha. I would strongly recommend that as an introduction to the study of Masechah Yoma, uh, that you read this Parsha through, read chapter 16 through, read it through in English, go over it, look for the key terms, and try to chart out uh, kind of what the Kohen Gadol is doing step by step because everything is in order with one possible exception and, uh, and everything revolves around one person and it's kind of easy to follow and kind of watch him. Alright. I will tell you that even the psukim that are on the page could easily comprise a full hour of shear without even touching the Gemara. That's not what we're going to do. So I don't want you to think that by the fact that I'm going quickly through it, that these are in, in any sense easy psukim or psukim that don't require or, or deserve a lot of attention, but that's not our focal point. So Hashem spoke to Moshe after Nadav and Avihu died. Um, uh, so he said, speak to Aaron, your brother, which basically means he cannot go in anytime he wants to or at any point. Inside the Kodesh Kodoshim. Mibet Laparochet means inside of the Parochet. The Parochet divides between the Kodesh and the Kodesh Kodashim. El Peneha Kaporet, facing the Kaporet, which is Asher Allah Haron. The Kaporet is the cover on top of the Aron. Veloyamut. In other words, if he goes in without the proper preparation, he will die. Kim Be'anan Erael Kaporet. I appear there in a cloud. So God's presence is manifest there. You come in without proper preparation, you die. What does that say about Nadav and Avil? Again, Parshanut for a different time. Bezot yavoa haron ala kodesh. Now we already saw the word bezot played with this morning in the daf. Um, this is what Aaron has to do in order to come in. Now, the pasuk is misleading. I want to clarify. Befarben makar lechatat va'ayil le'olah. He has to bring a, an ox as a chatat and a ram for an olah. Now, if, if you read this, Super literally and without any sense of anything, you would picture Aaron dragging two animals into the Kodesh Kodashim. That's nothing could be further from the truth. That's crazy. That's silly. That's not what it is. It means that he has to do a ceremony with these things. And only if he does that, then under those, in that context, can he come in. By the way, no animal ever comes into the Beit HaMikdash. Important to note, no animal ever goes into the Beit HaMikdash. The only part of an animal that ever goes into the Beit HaMikdash is blood. And that is only select chata'ot, the dam goes into the Kodesh, and of course, on Yom Kippur only, the blood of two chata'ot uh, comes into the Kodesh Kodashim. And we're going to see a lot about that later on in the Masach. Okay. He's going to wear a white linen garment that's sanctified, and a white linen pants. This is what we call our Ba'ab Gadim. These are the same four garments that every coin wears when he does Avodah, but these four have to all be pure linen, um, and they are basically uh, pants, a shirt, a belt, and a hat. Let me put it in mundane terms. And he has to go to the mikvah when he puts them on, and that leads to the famous five tefilot and asarah kiddushin. We have a mesorah that there are five different times during the day that the Kohen Gadol goes into the mikvah, and he does ten kiddushin yadayim vraglaim, which means before he goes into the mikvah, 
he sanctifies his hands and feet with water from the cure. And then when he gets out, he does the same thing. And that's between every close switch. And there are five close switches over the course of the day. So remember, he's brought a parva ayel on his own, and Bnei Yisrael also contribute two goats and a ram. There's another ram. And as you can see, that's the phrase that we're going to focus on. Aaron brings the parachatat close. By the way, he didn't check it yet. He brings it close, and he uh, and he, close means to the front of the opening to the mikdash. It never goes in, and he and he gets atonement for himself and for his household. So now that means that whoever is doing the service, which is Aharon, and we're going to call him Aharon, even though his name will be whatever the name of the Kohen Gadol is that time, is effectively getting kapara for himself and for his household. Does that mean he has to be a house owner? Can he be a renter? Does that mean that he has to have a family? Okay, so we're going to see what it means. Uh, it could also mean none of that. It could just mean he gets kapara for himself, and if he happens to be married, who he's married to, and if he happens to have kids, his kids. Could mean that. Right? Uh, aren't there other places in Tanakh where the word by it refers to wife only? Yes, kind of. We're going to take a look at one example of that. All right, there's a famous statement that Rabiosi used to refer to his wife as his bayit, right? And, uh, and so the question is where he got that from. Is he getting that from Pesukim? We're going to see an example of Pesuk. And in some cases, that may be the case. All right, good. Then he's going to take the two goats that the public fund uh, contributed, and he's going to stand them up again in front of the opening to the Omoed. So there's a lottery here, and one of the goats will go La Shem, and the other will go La Azazel, which is a place in the desert. So he's then going to bring the Sa'ir that had Hashem's name go on it, and he's going to make it a Chatat, meaning call it Chatat Lashem. The other one is going to be stood up alive. Again, in front of Hashem, meaning it's in the courtyard. It's going to eventually be sent out to Azazel in the desert. All right. Now, by the way, no animals are dead yet in this scene. He took the par, which he uh, which he contributed, and he did something that created, again, reading in the text, we don't know what it is, that created atonement for himself and his household. Now... Uh, he takes the the parachatata shiloh. Again, he goes back to his par, which is not dead, but he did something to it. The chiper beto, which sounds like a repetition. He does kapara for himself and his bayit. Now he does shchita. Right, the mechanics of this are very difficult because he does the shchita. He also has to do kabbalat adam. Right, which if you think about it, is pretty impossible. And so another coin takes over in the middle of the shrita, and then he takes the, the chalice to get the company to get the done. Now, by the way, all this has been done in the courtyard. Nobody's gone inside the building at all. Then he's going to go and take the um, the censer 
and take coals from the Mizbeach, which is the outside Mizbeach that has coals on it, that's anywhere between three and five fires, and then he's going to fill his, his hands with finely ground Torah, basically. And he's going to bring it in to the Kodesh Kedoshim. This is the first time he goes into the Kodesh Kedoshim. He's going in with this, uh, and it's very tricky. He's going in with the uh, Torah in his hands and the censer also in his hands. So where's he holding the censer, which has the fire in it? And then, and then he's going to put the Torah um, on the on the on the uh, fire which is in front of Hashem, which means inside the right. He's going to bring it inside to the Kodesh Kodeshim. Um, and now the cloud is going to cover the kaporet, and then he won't die. And the sense is that by covering the kaporet, he's protected from the kaporet. Uh, he's going to take some of the dam of the par. Remember, I told you the only part of an animal that ever goes in is blood. He's going to bring that chalice that has the dam par. And he's going to spritz on the top of the kaporet, kedma, and it's facing it. And in front of it, seven times. So it's like one time up, seven times down. Now he's got to go out. I didn't mention that, but he goes out. Now remember, there was a goat contributed by the people, and that's outside, and that one ended up with Hashem's name, the lottery on it. He goes outside and shechts that. By the way, there's no kapara associated with this. No vidui associated with this. He brings that dam in also. And here he's going to do exactly what he did with the dam hapar. Right? And by the way, this is spelled out very clearly and in lots of detail in the avodah, which most people are far too out of it by that time of the day to actually be able to follow. This is just a side point, but real central to the issue of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, as it is presented in the Torah, is essentially a time of kaparata mikdash, meaning over the course of X amount of time, which we then find out will be a year, there have been various tumot that have affected the mikdash. And now there's a once a year ritual that is going to cleanse that or protect it, depending how you read kaparat. Uh, so this is going to cl- cleanse the entire Oumoed. And now this is the, the kick that I want to get to. Nobody may be in there while he's doing this. And now that line again, he's going to get Kapara for himself, for his household, and for all of Am Yisrael. Okay. There's much more to it. This is about- May I ask a question? Culture. Yeah, May I ask a question? It, yeah. it mentions you went mute. There, say it again. It, it, before it indicated the Kohen Gadol brought an ayal ola, ayal ola, but then it never mentions it again. Right, we're going to get to it later. That ayal ola is not going to come inside, and it's not part of the inside of Avodav Yom Kippur. And we have actually have a machloka between Rebbe and Rebbe Lazar of Shimon, whether it's the same ayal as the one mentioned in Pinchas or a separate ayal. Um, and what its function is. 
But you're right. There are numerous korbanot that are brought in Yom Kippur that, ne- that no part of them ever goes inside. They're dealt with like regular korbanot. Correct. And that, that comes from him. Correct. Um, as you can see, Yom Kippur, and we saw this in our dealing in the, in the daf in the last couple of days at the beginning, Yom Kippur is all about the Kohen Gadol, but it's not only all about the Kohen Gadol, meaning that the Kohen Gadol is the only one to do the Avodah, there's something very, very personal about this entire thing. The very fact that he has to provide from his own funds the, the money for this. There's even the clothes have a certain price, but the Kohanim Gadolim would often upgrade of their own, out of their own pocket to get even nicer white clothes, uh, the Mishnah tells us. And so there's, there's, this is like the day of the, of the Kohen Gadol. Right. Okay, now... One thing, and Sherwin mentioned this, is the word bayit in Tanakh. What does it mean? So clearly it means a house. And we saw an, a, an extreme example of that in last week's Parsha when we read about Sarah Tabayit. That's physical stones that have, uh, that have blotches on them. However, bayit doesn't only mean a physical house. And for instance, here, when Yaakov is talking to Lavan and, uh, and saying he wants to go home. This is when Yosef is born. He says, I want to go home. He says, meaning, I have increased your flock by a lot. God has blessed you because of me. In other words, when Yaakov arrived, Lavan was not a rich guy. He couldn't even hire a shepherd. He had his own little daughter doing the shepherding. And he had that few sheep that a little girl could watch them. And now he's a very wealthy man, all accredited to Yaakov. By the way, Lavan admits that. And now what does Yaakov say? When will I now do something for my house? Now, he's not talking about a physical house. He may live in a house. He may live in a tent. I don't know. But he's talking about his family. Question is, does that mean specifically his wife? Well, that would be difficult because he has four of them or at least two of them. And Lavan knows that quite well because they're his daughters. So may mean his household. It may mean his wives. But of course, he's got kids. So by it in this context seems to mean family. All right. But the minimal place where that is, is a spouse, is a wife. And now let's see it here. In the Midrash Tanaim, um, in the Sifra, on our Pasuk, Now, here we go. Our Mishnah tells us, as we all know, but we're going to see it in a minute that a Kohen understudy was set up for the Kohen Gadol, all right? Um, and so the Breitah says, how do we know that just like we set up a understudy Kohen, Shema Yerabo Pisul, because maybe the Kohen Gadol will become Tameh in some way and not be able to do the Avodah. Kach Now look at the language. We, set, we, we do Kiddushin for him with another wife. Al Tanai, and we do it on condition, and that's what we're going to deal with in the bulk of the Shir. Maybe something will happen to his wife. Now, what is it that could happen to his wife that would be a problem here? Remember, the Kohen Gadol, if he becomes Tamei, he could become Tamei in any number of ways. No matter how careful he is, something could happen physically to him that would cause him to be Tamei. It could something become a Mitzorah or a Zav, or, or, right? And uh, also, Something could happen. There could suddenly be a dead sheriff that shows up right where he's in seclusion. He touches it, and he's tummy at least for the day. So he said in the same way, 
we set up a, an, an understudy wife for him because something might happen to his wife. What might happen to his wife? There's only one thing that could happen to his wife that would be a problem here. His wife could be Tmeaz, his wife could be Enida, his wife could be a Mitzorat, his wife could be anything. What's the only thing that could happen that would actually be a problem? Dies. She could die. And if she dies, and people die, and you know, we've seen this happen, people die, and they're not necessarily old, and they're not necessarily sick, right? So if that's the case, how do we know that we set up an understudy way, a wife in the wings, if you will? Talmud Lomar, v'chiper ba'ado v'ad beito, right? Beito, he ishto. And here, the, the midrashic interpretation of beito, which of course can't mean a physical house, he's not being machaper on the walls, so it means not a family in the sense of his kids or his parents. It means his wife. Wife, and you might say plus, but at least a wife. Divrei Rabbi Yehuda. Now, this is Rabbi Yehuda's opinion. Now, Rabbi Yehuda, you remember, never saw the Beit HaMikdash. Rabbi Yehuda lived in the second century. And, uh, but he had a tradition, evidently, that uh, in the times of the Beit HaMikdash, before Yom Kippur, not only would they have an understudy Kohen Gadol, who would be ready to step in if the Kohen Gadol became Tamei. They also had a wife in the wings in case the wife died, and so then the Kohen Gadol would not be going in unmarried. Now, Amarlo Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi turns to Rabbi Yossi and says, Im kein ein ladavar sof. What does that mean, ein ladavar sof? What does that mean? Literal no, translation. No end. There's no end. What is now? Now, what does it mean in because his every, argument? Every every substitute needs a substitute, right? So, in other words, you would say, ah, if you need to, you think that the wife might drop dead on Erev Yom Kippur, and he's going to be going in as a bat as a single man, and he's got to be married. So, what happens if the understudy wife dies, right? And if you so, so in other words, it seems that he's saying, Rabbi Huda, you are you are maintaining that we have to raise the concern about an unexpected surprise, tragic death that, that nobody had any idea was gonna come. All right, we understand if the Kohen Gadol's wife has been in the hospital for a long time and she's in her eighties, we understand. But here is a Kohen Gadol's, I mean, typically these Kohen Gadol were very old by the way, by the time they got to this position. But let's say that she's a young wife she could die. But if she could die, then the understudy could die too. Now, what is Rabbi Yossi's claim? And this is what I want to investigate before we get into the Mishnah. What is Rabbi Yossi's claim? Is he claiming that I agree with you that Bechiper Ba'adova Ad Beito means that the Kohen Gadol's kapara, first Kapara has to include his wife. And if he doesn't have a wife, he cannot go and do the Avodah. And the only thing is, if he has a wife who's alive, we just assume she's still going to be alive and we don't start making all sorts of takanot to fix it. Or is he disagreeing and saying that's not what the pasuk means? What do you think? In practice, does Rabiosi say we set up an extra wife? What do you think? Does Rabiosi say we set up an extra wife? No, it, no. Looks like he, it looks like he objects to the, the whole concept of a of a, of a second wife. Good. Now, why does he object to the concept? Because he objects to the concept because of the your your you there is there's no end to concerns that you could have, and therefore I agree with you. He needs to be married right now. He's married. 
Right now, his wife is not sick. There's no reason to assume something's going to happen. So, Yalla, let's keep going. Or is that he says, I don't agree with you. And if the Kohen Gadol's wife tragically dies before Yom Kippur, so he'll go in without a wife. By the way, there's yet another solution. Who, would, who do we have waiting in the wings according to everybody? The vice coin. The vice coin. The understudy coin. Whether he's the scun or not, the understudy coin Gadol. So we have a simple solution. Let's make sure the understudy coin Gadol is married. And you could have a solution if the coin Gadol gets Tame or the coin Gadol's wife dies, just put the understudy in. In other words, you don't need to have coin Gadol with an understudy and a second wife. You can have coin Gadol with an understudy who's also married. And then you're going to say, well, what if both wives die? Good. What does Eladavarsof now mean? Where, where do you stop? How many wives? In other words, if you're going to be worried about that, if you're worried about that, where that, and then you will end up in an impossible situation. Okay, let's take a look at this in the Mishnah. Right before we do the question, what happens to the understudy wife if, if Yom Kippur is uneventful? Is he married to her after Yom Kippur? The un, you mean the second wife? Yes, yeah, Oh, great. That's what our sugi is about. Exactly the problem. Right? And there's yet another problem I'm going to throw out just see for, your, for your interest right now, which is chiper ba'ado ba'ad beto assumes also pure monogamy. In other words, that the Kohen Gadol can only have one wife. So where does this second wife fit in? Okay, good. We're going to deal with that. That's what we're going to get to. Is there any precedent for a wife of the Kohen dying? You mean the wife of a Kohen Gadol dying on Erev Yom Kippur? Yeah, to, to bolster this, this scenario. Right. Is so, there any precedent? Do we need a precedent? Do we need a precedent? Right. In other words, what Manny's asking is, was there a story that happened one time where the Kohen Gadol was ready to go, his wife was young, whatever it is, and Erev Yom Kippur, she dropped dead, and suddenly they had a problem because a Kohen Gadol without a wife, and that's where Yudah said it. Or is Yudah saying something else, which is, people die. People die. We had Nebuchadnezzar tragedy at Eula two weeks ago. A boy died. Right? Boy in 10th grade, in 9th grade. Things happen. So it, I don't know if we need a precedent of the coin guttle's wife dying to make this work. Because it's not a thing about Kuna, it's a thing about life. Right? But, but the vendor says it's uh, tonight. The is with tonight. Oh, you're jumping way ahead. We're going to see that. We're going to see how that works. But first, we got to see what, the, what, let's take a look at kind of the, the foundation and then we'll get to that. What I, I, I'm interested in how this concept of Eilad of Ourself plays out, but Yeshlad of Ourself, because we're going to have to do that piece next week. You'll see. But in the meantime, here's the Mishnah. So I'm going to read the Mishnah from Ktav Yad Kaufman in Source 5, because that's, of course, our best version of the Mishnah. But you see the printed Mishnah on the right side, Source 4. Few differences. Shivat yamim kodem liyoma kippurim. This is the halacha that we start off with. And again, yoma is uh, chronologically ordered. So it starts with seven days before Yom Kippur. The first parak takes us to the night of Yom Kippur. And then the second parak starts with early in the morning and goes from there. Shivat yam, by the way, nighttime of Yom Kippur was not no, nothing. There was no thing. There was just, all there was was, believe it or not, how do we keep the coin goddle awake? Because the big concern is. If the coin goddle goes falls asleep, what's the big concern? If he falls asleep, he might become tame while he's asleep. That's the big concern. 
So what did, what did Chazanim do the night before? What, what do I? What did all the Chazanim in Israel do the night before? Yeah, good, good. I'm not going to go there. All right. So we'd separate the Kohen Gadol from his house. Or Palhedrin. Uh, we're going to find out in Tosefta that this, this place used to have a different name. But it's a particular office that's in the Azara, in the courtyard of the Beit HaMikdash. And that's where he would be sequestered for a week. So that means two things. It means, first of all, that he would spend all of his time in the Beit HaMikdash, but it also means that he would be separated from everybody at home, which is not the same. You can, you can be on the base and report for duty at six in the morning and come home late night, but you still come home. There's also something to be totally sequestered. All right, so we have a second coin in his place in case the coin gadol becomes pasul. We set up a separate wife for him. What if his wife dies? They see in Tamil Kaufman, it's, it's a little bit shorter, and the repetition of the word Beito is not there. Amrulo Chachamim, and by the way, in our Brita, it's Amarlo Rebiosi, Ein Ladavar Sof. Now notice, Ein Ladavar Sof is a little bit then, different than Im Kain Ein Ladavar Sof. What's the difference between them? In the printed Mishnah, it says Im Kain Ein Ladavar Sof. Here it says Ein Ladavar Sof. What's the difference? It may be a semantic difference. It may be just a rhetorical difference. What is the difference? If in fact Beso refers to the woman, to the wife, yeah, then it'll be endless. So that so in other words, the printed Mishnah that says Im Kain Ein Ladavarsov is saying if you're concerned that a one wife dies, you can be concerned that a second wife dies and a third wife, and then then you're going to need to have infinite wives there. It's, it, it, there's there's no way to solve it. What, what do you do with uh, the version Amrulo Chachamim Ein Ladavarsov? Maybe it's the same thing. Yeah. All right, let's keep it in mind. Let's keep it plugged away. One more thing. The questioning Rabbi Yehuda's interpretation that the word beso refers to the wife. Yeah, so that's the, that's the question. Is, is are they challenging his interpretation of the word beto? Mm -hmm. And saying a coin gadol doesn't need to be married. He should be married. It's nice. But if his wife dies, he can still continue doing the avodah. Or are they saying, of course, he's got to be married. And if something happens to his wife, yeah, he could also drop dead. That's why we have an understudy, right? So, question is, what is and and is there any difference to the im kain being added or not? It could be there's not. I just want to throw out some questions for you. And now let's take a look at one more Tanaitic source. We've looked at the Sifra, the Mishnah, and now the Tosefta. Just an interesting bit of nomenclature. The Tosefta starts out, and we've talked about this now. This is the very beginning of the Tosefta of Yoma. You notice it starts out in a weird place. It starts out with the word lama. What does lama mean? Why? Why? Which means it's assuming facts and then questioning them. Our Mishnah starts with a fact, which is we separate him for seven days. Here, lama mafrishin koin lishkat parhedrin. In other words, the Tosefta is commenting on the Mishnah. You see it? The Mishnah just said we separate. We didn't say why. It said Shema Yeradavar Psul. We don't know what that Psul is. And the Tosefta says, why do we separate him? Perash Rabbi Yehuda ben Petera, which we in Bavli call him Rabbi Yehuda ben Petera. 
שמא תימצא אשתו ספק נידה ויבוא עליה. Right, well, by the way, this is very different than what we've seen in the Gemara, Rabbi Yochan. What's the concern here? That perhaps his wife will turn out to have been a safek nida, and he will have had relations. Now, what's the deen of a boel nida? Somebody who has relations with his wife when she's a nida. I'm not talking about the consequences as far as heavenly punishment. I'm talking about the status of tahara. The answer is... He's Tamei, we read about it last week in the Parsha, Tamei for seven days. So what the, what, the, what the Tosefta seems to be asking is, not why is he coming to the Mikdash for training for seven days, but why is he sequestered from his wife? And now you find something interesting. What's the opening line in the Mishnah? Shivat Yamim Kodim Yom Kippurim Afrishin Kohen Gadol Mi Beito. What does Beito in the Mishnah here seem to mean? His house. He moves from one house to another house. But it's hinting to something, which is we separate him from his wife. His wife, because his wife is the potential problem here. <laughs> and here you have a double-edged sword. On the one hand, he can't be without a wife. On the other hand, if he's with his wife and intimate, he might end up being Tamei. So he's got to have a wife, but not be with his wife. Okay. Uh, All right, so we find out that there were other names for this Lishka. By the way, Parhadrin and Bulvetin are all Greek words. Parhadrin seems to be something like uh, the retired home, or the home for the Kohanim who have already you know, done their Avodah. Right? And it's unclear why. Nobody's really clear on what the words mean. Bulvetin seems to be sort of like uh, the town hall, like the important people came. Isn't there, so, a, isn't there a geometric shape called a polyhedron? Yeah, and I don't think that that's this. At least none of the linguists seem to, to connect to that. All right, so before we get into the sugya, which is our main sugya today, which is the, the second wife issue, I just want to show you what I put together here. And that is all the places that the Mishnah, in Tanetic literature, we find the phrase, and I want to show you two quick examples so we get a flavor for what Ein Ladavar Sof is, and this is what we're going to do next week, Ein Ladavar Sof. Um, this year we'll have a Sof, but it'll be about Ein Ladavar Sof. Okay, uh, the first one is at the beginning of Psachim. At the beginning of Psachim, you know, the first paragraph of Psachim is about Bidikat Chametz. Bidikat Chametz means you have to check uh, the room. Now, what happens if you check your house? Let's say you check, you check your living room. And, uh, and then you come into the dining room and then you see a rat scurrying into the, into the living room. What concern might you have? He'll take the comet and hide it. And hide it back in the living room. So you got to check it again, right? Okay. Yeah. So the Mishnah in the first paragraph of Sachim says, Ein chotshishin. Shema here means room. So we're not concerned that a rat took chametz and dragged it from one room to another or from one spot to another because in Cain, and this is the argument, in other words, you can worry maybe a rat just migrated from Las Vegas that schlepped a piece of chametz all the way across the desert and just walked into my house on Arab Pesach and deposited the chametz. Um, I don't know how many of you are fans of Ray Bradbury. 
who passed away a few years ago. Ray Bradbury was, was one of the, the masters of the short story. And he wrote a short story, I recommend just for entertainment, it'll take you five minutes to read, called The Fruit at the Bottom of the Bowl. And when you read it, you'll see, it's probably online somewhere. When you read it, you'll see why I'm connecting that with the issue of Bidikat Chametz. But what's the, what's the claim? And by the way, here there's no machloket. The Mishnah is simply saying, we do not raise this concern unless we actually see a rat bringing chametz in because ein davar sof. What does that mean, ein davar sof? And they, they, they say what they mean. You'll, you'll spend all your time searching and you'll, you'll, never, you'll never finish. Because what's the argument? Because what it, you, it, what, it can always happen. Somebody could always, or something could always uh, deposit uh, hummus. Right. So now, what are we yeah. saying? Are we saying that therefore there might be hummus there, but just what can we do? We just can't drive ourselves crazy. Is that what we're saying? We're saying the possibility is so small that right. there's no need to safeguard against it at in, infinitum. Right. So if we actually see a rat carrying it, or we, we put 10 pieces down and only found nine. That's the old joke with surgeons with, the, you know, with my watch. Then, then, uh, then maybe we have to go back. But if we check the room and it's clean, we don't have to worry that suddenly Hamid somehow migrated into there when we weren't looking. But is the argument that it just didn't happen? Or is the argument that it, there's, no, there's no feasible way to control it because you'll just do it forever? And that's, I want to go back to our dead wife for the same thing. Are we saying that she's not going to drop dead? She's alive now. There's no reason to think that. And I'll, I'll tell you why I'm saying it that way. Or is it, yeah, she might drop dead, but anything could happen. You know, an earthquake could happen, rip apart the, the coin goddess house, and, and, and the, the, the understudy could be in his house with him. It's all sorts of crazy things, but you cannot live your life that way. That's very different. That's very different. And I'll explain what I mean by the first approach. Let's take an example. A man, and I'm going to want pre-telecommunications, pre-air um, uh, travel, right? So let's go back 200 years. It's very simple. Not so bad. 200 years for us is yesterday in Jewish history. All right. You are in Spain. You live in Spain. You're making an Aliyah regal to the Holy Land. A fellow you know who is 85 years old, which then was, you know, today's 140. I mean, the guy was almost dead. 85 years old, and he's not well. And his wife, who is younger and is healthy, has left and gone to Israel and hoping he'd join her. He's never going to be able to join her. They don't have any kids. I'm going to make this a real classy kid situation. They don't have any kids, and he's got a brother who is a class A jerk. So he does not want to have her become a Yavama and fall to this class A jerk. So what does he want to do, being a nice guy? He wants to send her again. Oh, divorce her, divorce her. He wants to send her again. All right, so this guy who's 85 years old and has whatever kind of machines they had back then to keep people alive, Give, uh, it does a proper get with a baiting in Spain at his deathbed and gives it to you and you travel and it takes you three months to get to Israel you get to Israel, you find the wife, you give her the get is she divorced or not? yeah what? I'd say yeah yeah why? Get. what? he has to accept the get she accepts the get, gladly she accepts the get because she's not going back to her husband 
not because he doesn't like him, but he, he, she's in Israel. He's in Spain. It'll take forever to get there. He's very sick. And the last thing in the world she wants to do is to fall to her brother-in-law, who's a schnook. Is it a good get or not? Well, so both sides, yes. Why is it a good get? As long as the sholiach delivers the get, it's a, it's a get. Okay, good. Let's say for a second, just to clarify things, that as the sholiach was accepted the get and he took it in his hands, the guy died. Is it a good get? Not at all. Only a living person can divorce. And therefore, the man has to be alive when the shaliach hands it to her. But here the problem is that the shaliach left Spain in March when the guy was on his deathbed and he arrived in Israel in June and gives her the get. Is she divorced or not? Well, you don't know if he's still alive. You're the rabbi. What are you going to rule? Does the woman have to get chalitza or can she go and marry whoever she wants? So the answer is she's divorced. I'll give you a parallel case and then I'll explain why. This same guy, 85 years old, ah, in Spain, says, but this is not 200 years ago, it's 2,100 years ago. I don't know what he's doing in Spain, but he's in Spain. And he's not going to be able to leave. And he says, you know what? I, um, last Shabbat, I, I woke up and I cooked something. I thought it was Sunday. I cooked something that reminded me, our omelet story. And, uh, and I don't want to die with that on my, I'm gonna, I want to send a korban chatat to Yerushalayim. So he appoints you as a shaliach, gives you money and says, this money is for a chatat, get to Yerushalayim, buy a, a, a you and offer it up as a chatat. You get to Yerushalayim, three months later, you buy the you, bring it to the coin and says, I'm a, you could, by the way, you could send a shaliach with a chatat, right? Uh, does the coin offer it up or not? Let's keep, let's keep in mind what we know about chatat meta. If, a, if the owner of a chatat dies, the korban cannot be brought and, to, and the animal has to be killed. So do you offer it up or not? Well, why don't you just say chazaka that when, you, when he left, he was alive. So That's exactly alive. it. The answer is you do offer it up. The answer is in our first case, the woman is divorced because we have what's called a chazkat chayim, which means if you last thing you saw somebody was alive, they're alive until you know different. I mean, chazaka here meaning a presumption of status. Whatever the status was, it remains that until you know it to be different. All right, that's the chazaka. Now, let's go back to our room here in the Mishnah Psachim. When I checked my room and I, and I checked it and I found no chametz, or I found some chametz and I cleared it out, what's the status of the room? Right, we call it Baduk. Called Baduk. The room is Baduk. Now I'm going to say, oh, but what if a rat came out of nowhere when I wasn't looking and went in with chametz? What's the answer? I, do not, there, so. I don't shake the chazaka unless I have good reason. Right? I don't shake the chazaka unless I have good reason. Okay. So the question is, does Eimla Davar Sof, is it a functional statement of saying, look, you'll drive yourself crazy if you always think things are going to come in, so you got to put the line somewhere. Alan said it best, I think. It's not, just not doable. Or is Eimla Davar Sof more of a theoretical statement of saying, once the room is Baduk, that's its status. And until you have evidence that there's a problem, you don't change, change the status. All right, so... Uh, no, what it should have said, it's Baduk. Uh, 
shouldn't have said the English over self. English over self is on the ain Like you, like you don't even you don't know. You're just speculating. Like okay, so wrong. again, is ain't of ourself a functional or theoretical statement? That's the question. Okay, now keep that in mind. We're going to look at one more example here. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, Amar Mishum, Rabbi Elazar. Now this is the beginning of the Masachat Sota. How does Sota work? How does the meaning, what's the situation that, that generates Sota? So there's a man who's married to a woman, which is the only way it works. And I mean, unfortunately we have to say that these days. And, um, and the man suspects what? Infidelity. infidelity. He suspects uh, infidelity. However, he suspects infidelity with a specific named man, not just that she's cheating on him, but that there's a particular man that she's having an affair with, right? That's not enough. He has to issue her a warning about that man. And then there have to be witnesses that saw afterwards that saw her and that man in a secluded place long enough for something to happen. Then Sota kicks in. Okay, that's the premise of Sota. Now, in front of how many witnesses does he have to warn her and how many witnesses have to see her in seclusion? It's a three-way machloket in the Mishnah and the, and the Brighton. Okay, here we go. Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yudamar, Mishum, Rabbi Elazar. This is Rabbi Elazar Amoda, uh, Ben Shamua. Mekane al-pi eid echad, or al-pi He can warn her in front of one witness or just alone. Umashka al-pi Mashka means he gives her the drink, which means that if two people saw her in seclusion with that guy, he can give her the drink. Now, I want you to picture what this means. A guy wants to divorce his wife and wants to get out of the tuba and wants to embarrass his wife. It's a terrible guy, okay? So here's what he does. He waits around until she happens to be inside a room with a man for 10 minutes. Uh, it's a business meeting. It's whatever it is. Nothing bad. And he makes sure to get two witnesses who see them in there. Then what does he do? He comes up and says, I warned you that you're having an affair with that guy because you can do it on, alone. And now I have witnesses that subsequently you're in that room and now you can turn her into a sota. And a woman typically is going to say, I'm not doing the ceremony of sota. I don't want to be debased like that. In which case, she then leaves in shame and no ktuba, et cetera. Right? So now, by the way, the halacha is that you need two witnesses for the warning and two witnesses for the, and, and two witnesses of the seclusion. And you see why. What does that mean? This is a claim against his position that says that the kinui, the warning, can be private. Just the husband warning his wife alone. Because, by the way, if the husband says, I warned her, and she says, no, you didn't, well, if we claim that his testimony is good, then it means we're going to believe him. Right? And you understand how he could. Now, so what does Ein Ladavar Sof here mean? Mm -hmm. See the problem? The phrase Ein Ladavar Sof here is being used in a very different context. Right. The idea here is it's, it's using it that this will be a dogma for future evildoers who retroactively state that uh, it falsify 
that the you know that he warned her. So it's 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 more of a worry about this becoming a dogma for the future than it is of events that happened that happened in the past, no matter what the odds. You're saying we're not going to allow it as a deterrent to make sure that it doesn't create a bad model. Okay, so in of our soul, Sherwin is saying is about the future. Okay, anything else? Any other possibility? I like what you're saying. I don't think it's shot here. But I like what you're saying. Right? What is Emma of What What's the problem with his approach? The problem with his approach is that a woman can be set up without any warning whatsoever. Now, what's going to be, let's play it out. Let's say that that's the halakha. What, how is any married woman going to have to live her life? That her life could be ruined at any moment. Right. And therefore, what's she going to have to make sure to do every moment of the day? Never be alone with any man ever. Now, maybe that's a good idea, but it might not be so practical. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, that, by the way, doesn't mean yichud, because yichud in many cases, we'll talk, for instance, a woman is at home and her husband's at work or shopping or whatever it is. And the um, repairman comes. Does she have to say to the repairman, you can't come in the house because my husband's not home? No. Because what's the rule? In the city. But Allah by ear is okay. The husband's in the city. Right? So that, for reason, we're not going to go into what the reasons are. But it, so it's not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about here's a case where the husband's in the city and the woman's at home and the repairman came in for 10 minutes. And the husband sets up two people to see that and then come and report. We saw the repairman be in the house for 10 minutes. And now all he has to do is turn around and say, yeah, and a week ago I warned her about that repairman. He's making it up. Not to even mention the milkman. Right. So now what, what, what's the inlet of our self here according to that? It's going to mean that she will have to be constantly on guard against ever being alone with any man because she could end up being set up. Because she wasn't warned. It's a little bit of a different Ein Ladavar Sof. We're going to look into Ein Ladavar Sof in, in more detail um, 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 how do you call it? We're, gonna, we're going to look into Ein Ladavar Sof in more detail next week, but I want to just flip right now to our main sugya and just get our feet wet in the sugya before we end. And this again is a two-parter. Who knows? Could be in of ourselves, but in the meantime, we'll try to make it a two part. Is, is this okay. the same? Is this the same Rabbiosi early from earlier? Rabbiosi Yehuda is the same. No, Rabbiosi. Uh, Stam Rabbiosi is Rabbiosi ben Chalafta. Rabbiosi ben Yehuda is Rabbi Yehuda's son. He's a he's a chagr of Rabbi, right? Rabbi Rabbi uh, Rabbiosi Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shmuel Rabbiosi and Rabbi. That's all that generation, the last generation of Tanaim. Okay. So let's see what, the, what our Gomorrah says about this problem, because there's something I was waiting for you guys to say. But I'm going to, let's do it together first. What is the Chachamim's protest against Rabbi Yudah saying, let's get a second wife? What was their claim about why getting a second wife is wrong? What was their word? Their words were, in love of ourself, right? What does that mean? You need a third wife, a fourth wife. Exactly. Because if you're really concerned now, by the way, is that reasonable? Do you think that is reasonable to to be concerned that any human being could drop dead any moment? Certainly true. Do you think that we have to be concerned that a man has 
two wives, and both of them are in getting independent. They're both healthy. Both of them independently within a string of a couple of days drop dead. Highly unlikely, right? Make sure they don't fly on the same plane, whatever, but highly unlikely. However, there's a different problem. What was Chachamim's protest against Rabbi Yoda? You can't say get a second wife because Ein Ladavar Sof, which means maybe you'll need a third wife and a fourth wife. But what is the Chachamim's position that we all agree? Is there any other person in the picture besides the Kohen Gadol and our Mishnah? Understudy. Yeah, good. Why is there an understudy? In case he can't do it. In case the Kohen Gadol gets Tamei. <laughs> so why aren't you concerned that what if the understudy gets Tamei too? See, the mm -hmm. problem, and of ourselves can be turned turned back on the Chachamim. Okay? So here we go. Here's source seven. This is in the Gemara in Bavli. Rabbanan Namiha Chayshi. Right? So why aren't the Rabbanan also concerned? And here's what their claim is. The Rabbanan are also concerned about somebody being unfit. Pariah, they have an understudy coin. So the answer is. Could answer. Tuma is something that happens. Death is something that doesn't happen that often, meaning an otherwise healthy person could suddenly become Tame and it happens in the regular course of life. An otherwise healthy person dropping dead, not likely. Now, by the way, notice that when we said we make an understudy Kohen, they said, why do we make an understudy Kohen? What's the reason given in the Mishnah? Tuma. Tuma, but not what? Not Mita. In other words, we don't say the coin godel might drop dead, so let's have an understudy. It's the coin godel might get Tamei. So they say, good, we're not concerned that people are going to drop dead. People do drop dead, but it's not something that you can make part of your calculus of life. Right? I can't make dinner plans with you because somebody might die. I mean, you can't do that. You got to live. But Tuma certainly does happen, so therefore we're concerned about that. Okay? So now... Amrlo Imkain and Ladavarsof. Let's see the very beginning of this. Two minutes. Rabbi Huda, the, the challenge against Rabbi Huda was Ain Ladavarsof. And again, we're going to focus on what Ain Ladavarsof means next week and how it plays out. Shapir Ka Amri the Rabbi Huda. By the way, this claim is a pretty good claim. In other words, Rabbi Huda's a smart rabbi. Didn't Rabbi Huda come up with some solution to this Ain Ladavarsof? Didn't he think about this? So, now, really means, remember, doesn't mean he said. It means he would say. In other words, we're conjecturing how Rabbi Yudu could have answered that. So what's Rabbi Yudu's answer that we're conjecturing? You could be concerned of one person dying. The wife could die. The two wives may die. That you can't be choshish. Now, is it possible? Of course it's possible. Which means that the machloket between Yudah and Chachamim is one of measure. How much of a possibility are you going to take into account? I'm going to make up a number. There's a 5% possibility that this guy's wife might, a 1% possibility that this guy's wife might die. There's a 0.00001 possibility that both wives would die. So Yudah says that small, I don't have to worry about. And our brothers say, even that small, I don't have to worry about. 
Tumba, it's a 10% possibility. That I got to worry about. Okay. So if Rabbanan say, And so Rabbanan's answer is, according to this conjectured conversation, we don't have a conversation between them. This conjectured conversation, if you're going to be concerned about dying, then be concerned about two dying. Now we got to figure out what that means, and that's what we're gonna we're gonna start with that next week with that line. Why is it that the rabbanon would say if you're gonna be concerned about one person dying, be concerned about two people dying? We're not talking about two people, uh, you know, in 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 the in the North Tower on 9/11. We're talking about two regular healthy people in the course of their life suddenly dropping dead within a few days of each other. It, it's very unusual. It's, it's so why would they say if you're concerned about one, you should be concerned about two? It's a strange kind of statistical response and that's where we got to start so what we're going to do next week is we're going to start with this we'll do a quick review of where we're at we're going to start with this and we're going to study this sugya through and god willing we'll also get to the sugya of enla of ourself i may update the the page we'll see but in the meantime uh this is what we got so um, do they have age limits for coin godel i mean I'd be concerned if it was, uh, you know, a certain age. Yeah, good point. And by the way, as we read, at least towards the end of the period, I got to remember, the history of this is difficult for us because um, the all the material we have was redacted 150 years after the destruction of the Mikdash or later. Right, and most of the rabbis that we hear from, almost all the rabbis that we hear from in the Mishnah, are rabbis that at best were young men at the time of the destruction. Which means most of what we have is not eyewitness accounts, but it's a tradition going back a generation or two. And uh, that's why Rabbi Haninas Gana Kohanim shows up so prominently here because he was in the Beit HaMikdash. Um, and that's why we have disputes about how things were done. You know, normally, that how are things done? Very simple, go take a look and see how things are done. Nobody thinks you put filling on your right arm if you're a righty, because we all see how it's done. But the problem is we haven't seen it. So that's why we have these machlokot. So um, the, the, the question, the, the question that, that's being asked here is, was there really an understudy wife set up? And nobody knows. <laughs> nobody can tell us. Now, the interesting thing is that we do have here and there, and especially in Yoma, reports about the life of the Kohen Gadol and the life of the Kohanim. And we do hear that in the latter part of the Mikdash, meaning pretty much in the after the year zero, Kohanim Gadolim did not last very long. There were a lot of them. And the, in one version of that, typically you'd be Kohen Gadol for one Yom Kippur. And that was the best you could get. As opposed to the good old days, Shimon Sadiq who was 40 years, and he was the right... But in, in our more recent era that we have a little bit of a historic connection to, it was very, it was very quick. So you're right, Nigel, that the coin Gadol himself was pretty old, and they're not really concerned about that here. You would think right. that they'd say, let's have an understudy who's a young guy because the coin Gadol might not make it. Right. Very interesting problem. Yeah. Okay, good. We'll pick up with this next week. Um, again, tomorrow at 3, we'll have uh, the Daf the Shir on Zoom uh, in place of tomorrow morning. And then Wednesday morning, we'll be meeting again. And then next week. So does 5.30 on Mondays works for everybody pretty well? Okay. Okay.